Welcome to Boots Off Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business. A show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David and I'll be your host for the show. Welcome, everybody, and today I've got with me Rob Grimmer. Now, Rob's uh, a consultant from Plan Farm in Geraldton. Now, Plan Farm, for those of you who are not from Western Australia, is one of uh, West Australia's oldest and uh, probably pioneering prestigious ag consultancy firm. Uh, it started, I think, with Peter Falker and John Abbey way, way, way back. And Rob's based out of Geraldton. And Rob is a farm business consultant and has been in the industry for, I think, over 20 years. So um, welcome to the podcast, Rob. Yeah, thanks, David. Thank you very much. I mean, I don't know if I did your intro justice there, mate, but maybe before we get into the good stuff, can you tell everyone uh, what's the background of Rob Grimmer? So how does he become a farm business consultant in Geraldton. Where are you from? <laughs> well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So I was raised in Mullawa, which is 100 k's just to the east of Geraldton. Uh, my dad was a migrant in the, you know, the Christian brother um, came out as a from Malta and opened up a farming block. So I was just going to be a farmer. But he said, no, no, go off and get an education. So I studied ag science at UWA and I thought I'll just go do one year and then go back to the farm. But I was enjoying it so much, I ended up staying for four years and finished the degree. And then sort of realised that farming wasn't actually my thing, but servicing the industry was. So, you know, that's how I um, entered into the ag industry. And since then, I've had a heap of different roles. So I, I've been an agronomist. I've been an economist. <laughs> I've been a project manager with with um, the Department of Agriculture here. And then for the last seven years, I've been with Plan Farm as a farm management consultant and loving it. And you service a beautiful part of Australia. So obviously people in the West Australian farm industry sort of understand your region a bit. And um, for those of you outside of Western Australia, Rob services a, a beautiful part of the agricultural region and a lot of very successful big farmers around there too. But it's a, it's a nice spot to work as well, I'd say, Geraldton as well. Yeah, well, everyone knows, well, not everyone, but if you don't know, Geraldton's known as the Windy City. Um, we certainly do have three or four months of wind over summer, but the other seven, eight months of the year, like right now, are absolutely beautiful. And we have a lovely winter. And so we're, I mean, my 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 footprint really is, um, and the Geraldton Port Zone is bounded by Calberry to the north and Eniaba to the south and out to sort of Buntine in the east. So, yeah, it's high, medium and low rainfall, red dirt, coarse sands and everything in between. So, yeah, I love it. Good area. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't go far from the coast like a lot of regions. So you can go from very high rainfall to very low rainfall in a very short period of time in your region, can't you? Well, that's exactly right. But, but each individual year, everyone's either high or low rainfall. <laughs> that's how it pans out, really. Yeah, I know these days are a bit different. Anyway. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. So let's pivot on to the, the topic, uh, really the topic I want to start on today with you, Robin. And, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we are on the phone, but 2021 for a lot of farmers in Australia, especially grain farmers in particular, was was a game changer for many farm businesses. You know, after many years of really watching the bottom line and sweating their overdrafts and all that sort of stuff, they find themselves in a really great financial position. And in some families, it's the best financial position they've ever been in. Look, this is a brilliant outcome. 
yet it will bring its own challenges going forward. Really, I want us to talk about, so what do farm businesses really need to be aware of moving into this season in 2022 and into the 2023 season? Yeah, no, that's probably a couple of big questions there. And I can't speak about the rest of Australia, but I certainly can speak with a lot of confidence about Western Australia. And you're, you're dead right. 2021 was the best year on record financially and our benchmarks that will be released in the next couple of weeks will clearly demonstrate that um, as an average well I believe it will as an average for Western Australia uh, but it's it's sort of the <laughs> the icing on the cake so over the last five years we've had you know bad years in there but 2018 was spectacularly good and at that point in time it was the best ever and 2021 smashed that and on top of that uh, we've also had a very rapidly rising land value, land appreciation, um, land value appreciation. So we've sort of got to the point of the, at the end of 2021 where we've had these generational farms that, you know, they're, they're not just persisting. I mean, they're, they're thriving and they're moving forward and they're growing, but they're just getting through and still focusing on paying down debt and growth, et cetera. And you get to the end of 2021 and many, many, many people had, paid down their term debt effectively and they and some of them even were able to fund their 2022 program without needing bank finance so they just found themselves in this highly wealthy situation that they had not really en- encompassed before and it does raise it does raise some you know you've got to change your perspective at that point instead of being a conservative or dour approach to um, risk minimization it's 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 a bit more we know the bad seasons are going to come okay let's just park that for the minute but in terms of investment you start to think well okay I've actually got to change my attitude here about how I view investment because now I've got the clear opportunity to start to allocate capital to various things in in the family wealth creation and that that's a change for a lot of people that is going to take some time to wrap their head around so it's really interesting I remember we had a – I'm from a, a southern area in Kojanup and the wool industry had its own version of this back in the back end of the 80s and a lot of wool growers around Australia suddenly became very wealthy off the back of extreme wool prices. And I came home from university and the first thing my father said to me, he goes – David, I've made a lot of very dumb decisions when I've had money in my pocket. And this is what I'm thinking about, you know, when we were talking yesterday was humans, we're not, when we can do some silly stuff, especially when we've suddenly got a bit of money. And I really drill down on that. You're talking about the flipping of perspective and the way I deal with this and how I use this, you know. And, And so when you're talking to your clients or you're listening to other, you've got other advisors in your group, you know, how to advise clients to deal with this this wealth, I suppose. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it really comes back to trying to go back to what are their goals and aspirations in life. So, you know, for some, ultimately what the last few seasons have done and the wealth of creation that's occurred, what it's really done is accelerated or brought forward um, some major decisions about where they want to go for the rest of their life. So they might have been thinking, Mm. you know, by 2025 or maybe 2030, I'll sort of be in that position to be able to do blah, blah, blah. Well, they're there. They've effectively arrived there earlier than expected. So, it, it, you know, to answer your question, it really comes back to, well, what do you really want to do in your life? You know, for instance, I've, I've got two sons. I didn't think I was going to have the opportunity to give them both a chance to farm, but now I might have that chance. So I'm I'm going to gear up and do it all again. Or for others, it's, it's about, you know, is now the right time to talk about succession between the generations or... 
okay, now I'm in a better position, but I don't have, to, I don't want to do any more work necessarily. So it's actually all about off-farm investment. It just depends enormously on what position the business is in and what they really want to do with the rest of their life. And is it about the people that are there now, or is it about the future generations? But you are right. Yeah. I mean, it is very easy to, you know, just say, oh, well, I've got an extra, you know, $2 million. I'm just going to go buy that house and just buy a boat, you know, and do, do these things. And it's all good, very good to reward yourself. But you do have to understand, well, if I buy that house, that million-dollar house, there's a million dollars I don't have in this business anymore. So what impact does that have on my on my future business aspirations? So you just got to have those conversations. Yeah, and, and it is a great position to be in. And you mentioned before, in ag, we know, we don't know what year it's going to be, but there's going to be a year where, where it's going to be completely the opposite to the last year. It's going to be horrible in every way. Yep. And everyone in ag knows that year. And I think anyone who's been around long enough, it, apart from unless you've been in the farming for the last 10 years, you, or unless you've been on the East Coast, you've lived that year. So how do you advise clients, Rob, to, I know, use this amazing opportunity to prepare for when that comes, because like, you know they don't know when it's going to happen, but to set themselves up to buffer that year, mate. Yeah, so that's. Cl- I mean, I don't write the rules, but I believe that you can't have three good years in a row, and we've had two, and it <laughs> turns out that I might be wrong because this year's panning out pretty good. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was front and center for me this year, talking about you know protecting the wealth that has been created and not being too crazy with that or outlandish, believing that this is the new future, etc. I try and do it in two ways. One's about the wealth that we have and the balance sheet. So having retaining a very strong balance sheet is really important. So again, use the parlance. If, if you go buy a million dollar house or you gift your children a million bucks or whatever, I mean, that's an asset. They're assets that are still within the business, but that's a million dollars of cash that's not in the business anymore because the house is not liquid. So if you're going to go and do some off-farm things or have capital transferred off-farm and you've managed your tax etc. If we get into a sticky position because of seasonal challenges, we need and we need that money to come back, you've got to make sure that the off-farm asset is liquid enough to be able to, to do that. So that's that's one aspect. I mean, I would prefer that that capital stay in the business and we, and we just ride through the next couple of years and mature from the position that we're in. But if indeed you, you are accelerating your needs from the family wealth creation, fine, by all means, go do that. But be aware of what you're doing with that capital. Secondly, is what we do with our on-farm. And really, I just take the advice or observations of the farmers that have increased their water use efficiency over the last 10 years in the face of um, a declining rain, winter rainfall pattern because of changing weather patterns and climate change for argument's sake. You know, that they, what they really are doing is improving the soil resource and making sure that when the, the plants get out of the ground on time, so that's a machinery investment and uh, to in, enable better timing. And when the plants do get out of the ground, they can access every last moisture right through to the end of the season. So that's about making sure that all subsoil constraints and all topsoil constraints are ameliorated and fixed and there's no problem with the plant. And so, again, that's I try and give my clients those two bits of advice. If we're, going, we're in a good position, can we improve our soil resource? And not secondly, if you're going to invest off-farm or whatever, then let's do that smartly. Yeah, so this is a great thing. So you've suddenly got this ability now to invest in what has always been quite expensive work, like 
you know, adding huge amounts of, say, um, nutrient, I mean, I suppose, base load soil improvement like lime or, or deep ripping or those sorts of, which is not a cheap exercise ever. But you might now be able to, you have the capital to double down on that sort of work and set yourself up for the next decade in soil health in a way. And also you're saying investing in machinery that allows you to upgrade, you know, size, quality, ability, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, there's a, and there's a couple of different things there. So for, for us in the West, it's all about getting the crop out of the ground on time. We can protect it in season and we can harvest it and all that's not really the issue and although the south coast has a few harvesting issues but just forget that for the second they're still got to get the crop out of the ground and we we know that we've got half the amount of wet rainy days in our autumn break of season so therefore sowing it becomes the most important thing that we must get right so scale increasing your the size your, the hectares per hour etc that is extremely important and also making sure that when we have a five or seven or eight mil rainfall event we, we have the confidence that that plant is going sown at a depth and every seed is sown at the depth is going to strike and get out of the ground so you know we, we've known about the size of the machinery sort of thing for some time but we haven't necessarily invested in the right machinery to have the best opportunity for the plants to come out of the ground en masse across hectares so you know switching over machinery to achieve that outcome is one aspect and the second aspect is making sure that to a depth of five or six hundred mils down we've got no ph issues and no compaction issues and we've got no non-wetting issues on the surface and we can quantify that we know how much it's going to cost to do that and we just view it as a capital investment yeah, and it is a real investment, investing in soil, and I think that's a great instinct, isn't it? You know, I can buy a house or I can improve my soil for the next decade, um, which sets up profits for 10 years. And I think, and you know, one thing from the plan fund benchmarks over the years, farming itself is a pretty good investment. I mean, if you're looking about return on capital invested and you're talking about buying a you know, house in an urban area or, or buying a farm, farming's stacks up pretty well. Uh, yeah, correct. And I'd be inter- I haven't actually seen the results of – so we do batches in six years. So we will look at the, the six and, and possibly 10-year history. And I haven't seen the results that will come out this year, which includes 2021. But up until the end of 2020 and including 2020 for the, for the 10 years previous, the average return on capital in cash only was uh, 5%. And the top 25% of farmers were actually achieving um, very close to 10% return on capital, plus the capital appreciation of their land across that time frame as well. So, yeah, it stacks up. It stacks up beautifully against the stock market, et cetera. I agree 100%. And once we include 2021, you know, it's going to be better than that, obviously. Yeah, and especially when you look at – so you've got clients. Do you think we're going to maybe have an opportunity to get – maybe another bump in yields, especially in the low rainfall areas, because I've noticed in Western Australia, you're talking about the east of where you grew up, really, in that area. And there, you know, I've noticed it in land prices are going nuts out the far east. And But they're able to grow some incredibly big crops out there than they couldn't grow 10 years ago. And I assume that's a technology base. Do you think, well, that's an assumption of mine, but also do you believe that we may get another bump because of the ability to invest especially in those zones, both either soil or rainfall? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think by virtue of the fact that they just behave like medium and high rainfall farmers in the years that are medium and high rainfall, 
their bump in yield in those years is extraordinary. So we've got low rainfall farmers that have achieved an average of very close to four tonne last year, three and a half tonne, two and a half tonne of canola, just over two tonne of canola in the low rainfall zone, showing that their soil, and this isn't for everyone, but their particular soil, it, you know, you just add water. So the water is their limiting factor. But there are soils out there where they are shallow, they are acidic, inherently acidic and inherently challenging to, to alter the, the wadule soils. So I think you're right. I think you are right because there will be a renewed investment because, of course, the further east you go, the further you are away from the lime source, the more expensive it is to get the lime delivered and applied on farm. And all of a sudden, that problem's disappeared because you've got capital and you've got a tax problem. So you've got to spend some money and that's a very good investment. So I think you're right. But of course, we won't know that until five years' time when we see the evidence. And let's not forget, you know, in yeah. in those dry years, I mean, they might get 100 mils, you know, in a, in a dry year, they might get 90 to 110 mils. And it's very difficult to grow a crop of any amount. You know, if you get a ton, you're doing really, really well on that sort. Of, and that, that's going to happen again, no matter how good your soil resource is. I still think it's amazing from a global point of view, though, if you told most farmers globally that um, people would even attempt to grow grain on 100 mils of rainfall i mean the, the operators in those rainfall zones are pretty amazing even on a on an average year really yeah correct i mean we can see it. we track their water use efficiency and you're dead you, i mean you're dead right in the last six years we've seen their long-term average of maybe eight to ten kilos per millimeter of plant available water increase to 12 and 13 kilograms per millimeter in the low rainfall zone and you know, and I think that they're pushing towards 15, which is a you know a phenomenally good number as an average, uh, when you consider that they'll have those bad years that come along, and and in very dry years your water use is pretty crap to be honest, because you just the plant just can't yeah. you know just can't it's got a buffer in there. So no, look, I think it is amazing what they've achieved this year. There's no doubt about it. In the last few years, and technology is driving so it. So talking about technology, farm machinery purchase is always a sticky one this time of the year. Obviously, we're not here to talk about tax, but there's obviously a bunch of farm accountants who are working through the tax issues of this amount of cash floating around at the moment. But there is an opportunity to upgrade machinery um, and machinery supply is tough itself. So what decision, what sort of decision-making process do you think farmers should be going around at the moment in the context of machinery? So what are the thought processes, Rob? Yeah, well, it's been really difficult, as you know, because the federal government, due to COVID, um, decided to put relax the rules. So there's been an instant asset write-off. So if you buy a million-dollar harvester, then it's a million dollars off your – well, you can choose to have a million dollars taken off your taxable income. That's enticing, particularly when you've had the best profit year you've ever had. So that's – a driver from one aspect within the farm business, but coupled with that is, you know, the the sheer availability of machinery is it has been extremely difficult with wait times of over twelve months and up to eighteen months for various machines. So, the way we go about it is to map out the the major items, the the main tractors, the seeding gear, the harvesters, the spray rig, that sort of thing. We map them out and try and forecast. Well, okay, in the next twelve months or two years, or three years, what is the usage likely to be? How many hours are we going to put on? And when are we most likely to want to replace that gear? And so that gives us a fair amount of discipline to then 
instead of just reacting to the tax incentives and the the noise around you're going to wait two years i don't know if there's availability of that machine all that sort of stuff which is you know all that's real but it's noise you just have to work your way through you just got to provide yourself with a discipline so we we, you know we call it a machinery replacement schedule very simple there's nothing it can be done on the back of an envelope it does not have to be too too complicated and it just really maps out usage expected hours at points in time and then the farmer can then decide, right, I don't want that harvester to go over 3,000 hours, so it has to be replaced there this point in time. And therefore, I think I have to order it at this point in time to make sure I've got it by then and just manage the, the tax scenario through that. So then that's how we do it. I mean, I've got to be honest, you know, you would expect there to be just every every farm getting a birthday with machinery and lots of new paint on every farm. but And that has happened in cases, and that's okay. But by and large, the farmers have been very disciplined in their approach, and they're somewhat constrained by the availability of machines. And it more recently, very recently, the last six months, the, the increase in the cost of new gear has gone up significantly. 20, about I've been hearing from the growers, you know, harvesters, spray rigs, they've gone up 20 25%, which is a, a barrier in its own right. They have to start really diligently thinking, okay, am I willing to let that spray rig go out to 4,000, 5,000 hours because I'm, you know, I just have to use it for longer because the replacement cost is going to be too high right now. That's a decision that they're going through at this point in time. And service costs. I mean, okay, so I'm a farm business and I go and upgrade all my machinery, which is, I can remember when I was, especially when I was a young lad in the 90s, that's all I ever wanted to do. So the instincts, it's pretty hardcore, but the service costs, especially of the more complex machinery like tractors and harvesters, is is quite phenomenal now. So it comes into this, like you're talking of machinery replacement schedule, but also budgeting. So budgeting forward that look, these machinery, this machinery is going to cost more to maintain going forward. Is it material enough for you when you're talking about farm budgeting for clients and planning forward with new machinery? Is it becoming significant? Yeah, it really has. I mean, I'll give you some context. In terms of repairs and maintenance in the plan farm benchmarks, about five or six years ago, that used to average around $25 a hectare, a cropped hectare. And now it averages around 35 So that's a fairly rapid rate increase over a short period of time. That's the average. And then, so yes, you're true. It's correct. The cost of maintaining gear has increased. That's a fact. However, there is a high range around, let's say it is $35 a hectare. There's a very high range around that. And so I've got clients that ostensibly are extremely similar in their geography, their scale, blah, blah, the age of their machines. One will be at 40 and one will be at 30. And what's the difference? It, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a skill within the business or a method, uh, their approach to maintaining their gear and you know, I couldn't say that the person at $30 a hectare or, or better is not getting their crop in on time. They, they are. They're getting it in. They're protecting it. They're getting it off. There's no manifest difference between them. So I think when, when we talk about if we're going to hold gear for longer, we do absolutely have that discussion. I can't give them any guidance about the likely problems that they're going to occur, yeah. but the farmers, yeah. they know innately, oh, well, that machine, it does this at 4,000 hours, so that will cost about 30 grand, but 
is that cheaper than and, and if i do that it, it's good to go again and is that cheaper than buying a new one yeah we'll weigh all those things off and then they make an informed decision mm. and once they've made that decision we'll build build that into the budget so yeah it's 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 quite an informed yes. process and of course there's things that go wrong that you you just don't know they're going to go wrong you know an, an engine blows and it's 50 grand you know like who's who's to know yeah. that that's going to happen but that that can happen at any age of gear, to be honest. So, yeah, there's a few there's a few interesting th- things that occur, but it is, I mean, I've got a really good data set displaying that there is a range around that average cost, and just put it back on them. I don't know why you're forty or fifty dollars a heck there, but some of your peers are much lower than that. You'll just have to develop the skills in this area because we can't afford to keep going like this at that very high cost. Is there, I mean, you said, I say in the benchmarks all the time and I suppose we're not here to talk benchmarks, but just while we're here, is that essentially that cost, there seems to be growers, some growers who are able to to really keep that cost per tonne harvested or that cost per hectare a lot lower than others. And it makes a massive difference in the benchmarks, it seems to. Do you find that region-specific or client-specific or it's a financial discipline or a capability that some people just have the ability to keep that cost base reasonable, I suppose? Yeah, no, it's not geography. Um, it's not age. It's It might be personality type. I, I don't know. But, you know, you'll find these growers across, you know, dotted across the landscape. So, and it's not just about the true difference between those people that those businesses that are genuinely in the top 25% pretty much across the board they know when to not spend the money but they also know when to spend the money so depending on the season you know they'll they'll know when to just shut the checkbook and not do a thing and put up with the the poorish result but in the good years when the opportunity is there they pin their ears back and go for it so it's just an innate ability and the difference is subtle these days between the the excellent and the good, the difference on cost spend per hectare is actually reasonably subtle. But of course, you do mm. that across hectares across years, it makes a big difference in, in a generation. Yeah. So that comes down to financial discipline. And I think to, to circle back to where we started a little bit at the beginning about making good decisions with having had a lot of success financially. And the instinct, I think, of most humans is to take the foot off the pedal a little bit in the context of discipline. So this comes down to maintaining your books, doing your budgets, reviewing your, you know, the rhythms, the good behaviors that you generally develop when you've got to keep an eye on the bottom line. And you tend to be a little slacker when the bottom line's a little fatter. So <laughs> so what advice could you, not just to your clients, but to farmers in general, you know, about financial discipline, even when you have a lot of money. Yeah, well, fortunately. For, and behaviour. Yeah, no, you're right. You, you're dead right. And just think about that in your own house, you know, the older you get, the more luxuries you have and in in your, <laughs> the more wealth you have, the more luxuries you allow yourself to have. That's um, just human nature. Fortunately for us this year, in 2022, we've come up against probably the worst trading conditions we've had for some time with, well, very obviously fertilizer is about two to three times more expensive than what it was 12 months ago. And looking forward, it's, we thought it would it would, would solve itself quickly in 2022, but it looks like it's going to keep going um, into 23. And not only that, herbicides, the availability issues due to COVID and shipping, and it's not doesn't stop there. Like I said, repairs have kept going. Insurance costs have gone up fifty percent. You know, rates have gone up. Everything seems to be ridiculous. Indeed, in two thousand and twenty-one, it was the most expensive year that for many of my clients that they had ever had per hectare. 
and the budget for 2022 looked like it was going to be a similar cost. That's a budget that we're doing, you know, we don't even know if it's going to be a good, bad or ugly outcome in terms of yield, etc. So we had this governor built in this year because we knew the headwind was there in the cost side of things. And, we you know, we've hammered it into them all summer, you know, like you've got to be prepared, quanti- continually quantify your position. And the only way to do that is to keep your cash book up to date and continually understand how far away from the budget you've drifted. Because if you have drifted, positively or negatively that's either a, a good or a bad thing and you need to understand that and, and the way this year's panned out some growers were going to in western australia anyway some growers are going to pull back on their expected um, cropping area the dodgy areas of the farm just leave them out because there's just too much risk but the way the season presented was well there's actually yield there and the prices are still looking good so i'm going to go for it so there's no doubt there are people that have spent more well more than what they had budgeted um, and the nitrogen, I know that there's been a lot of nitrogen ordered that wasn't in the budget so and put on that wasn't in the budget. So it's going to be interesting over the next month or so to see that if that discipline comes home to roost and, and I'll start to get the phone calls about, oh, my God, Rob, I'm in this position. Yeah, I think you mentioned quantifying your position all the time. And I think and this can make a difference, couldn't it, Rob? So you've got a bunch of cash, which is amazing, but it doesn't mean you can't burn it all through lack of, I suppose, keeping an eye on it. You still have to, what you're saying here, Rob, is you've got to keep an eye on it. You've got to keep, make sure you at least try and stick to your budget as much as possible. Keep, keep your cash book up to date. Keep quantifying how close you are. So you just don't drift too far off and burn through, I suppose, windfalls unnecessarily. Is, is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, correct. I mean, always quantify, always quantify. When, when times are challenging, you always have to understand the position that you're in. And from there, you can start to do some scenario planning about what might be the likely outcome. And that either gives you some comfort or it gives you discomfort and you, you manage accordingly. So again, if we think about the history, we've always had a bit of term debt. We've always had an overdraft and that's been the governor about how much I can spend. And you know, if the season looks good, you go and ask for a temporary increase on that, but you know the crop's there, so it's okay. Well, this year, we, there's less term debt. There may not even be an overdraft. So where's the governor um, in terms of how much money I'm spending? So, <laughs> you know, that that in its own right means that you can just keep on booking things up, etc. But the discipline, I think, has been enforced because of the cost of produce this year. Mm. And again, it's, you know, it's been, it's been easy to drift away from recognizing where you're at through that busy April, May, June period, because you're just making sure the crop's in the ground. Fair enough. But now's the time to start thinking, okay, what's happened? Where am I? And towards the end, and and what can I do from this point forward to correct the ship or make the most of the opportunity that's presented itself? So you're still recommending your clients the same disciplines. I know that you've always insisted with you, you talked about your clients, you know, keep your cash book up to date often, stay disciplined with your budget. Do you still do your scenarios? Because you know, it's good, but it's e- it's easier to get out of control if you don't. I, and I think well, the other thing I just heard is if you haven't got your overdraft governing you, you've got to be your own governor. So, in fact, you've actually got to do more work now because you've actually got to be, 
you're not having discipline enforced on you from the bank now. It, you've got to be your own discipline now. Yep, that's exactly right. Like normally we'll get to this time of the year and we've, we've used up 80, 90% of our overdraft, you know, because most of the spending occurs now. Um, but that's not happening this year because we're using some of our own – well, we're not for everyone anyway. Some people are still in that boat. But we're using some of our own cash to fund the crop and, and there'll be a cash injection into July because – a lot of people have deferred grain income, so they're just, you know, they all think it's all fine, you know, and that, and they might be fine. But no, that no, nothing changes in the process because you still, what we know in January or February when we're doing our budgets is completely, could be completely different to what we know now. In January, we'll work on an average yield and an average price. But in June and July, we know, oh, well, the yield is likely to be in this narrower range and the price is likely to be whatever that's going to be. And I've already sold this much grain and I've and I've spent this much money. And I can quantify how much more money I'm going to spend now with more with more certainty because of the season. We're into the season. We've already made decisions that I have to follow through. So we just know more now. Therefore, we have to quantify where we're at and just map that forward. And it either, like I said, it either gives us comfort or it gives us discomfort. And we can manage our way through that accordingly. But there is opportunities, obviously, Rob, for the people who, who do have the discipline. You know, there's massive opportunities to make a generational change if you've got the discipline to to hold the line, really. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure about the generational change, but what we're trying to do is maintain the wealth and not burn the wealth that was created last year. Yeah. <laughs> or over the yeah, last Keep as much years. of it as That's yeah. right. Just retain. And, you know, like, yeah. what is it? Of, was- is the old tennis parlance of broken serve, but I haven't held serve yet? It's exactly what we're trying to do. And that, I mean, the profit estimation this year, despite yields looking promising and despite price being exceptionally good, the profit estimations are still reasonably okay, but they're not exceptional because the cost of product was uh, to produce was exceptionally high. And I think higher than what we budgeted. So we've you've got to just again go back and map. And the the grain marketing side of things is really complicated. So how do we look at grain marketing now, Rob? Because how hedged to people? I mean, it is great looking grain prices at the moment, but there's a limit to how much you can sell forward. Yeah. Um, so yeah. how how should people start looking at this now? Yeah, good question. It's variable. As an average production scenario, a lot of people would have been at their limit of their comfort limit. So let's say that they traditionally sell 30% of their grain, estimated grain, before they've even got a plant out of the ground. I mean, that that's not everyone. Don't get me wrong. I've got clients that just won't do that at all. And I've got others that are quite happy to sell 50%, you know, without <laughs> in January, you know. Um, so because at that point in time, the prices were sort of very high historically, January, February, March, a lot of people have taken the opportunity to fully gear themselves on an average outcome. But then, of course, the price has boomed since then. And and if you've used – it doesn't really matter if you've used um, a hedging tool such as a swap or if it's a physical contract, you feel like you're out of the money. But as it's panned out, you're actually likely to have more tons available to you than average because the season is better than average. Therefore, the hedge level is less. It's a percentage less. And and what the behavior mm. has been, because they feel like they're out of the money, they've actually just stopped. They've stopped selling and they've said, well, I'm just going to wait and see how this pans out. And there's still really good opportunities out there once we get more surety around the production side of things in 2022, which, you know, that's just around the corner. And we get the market signal from what's happening in the north. So I think there's going to be, you know, the swap 
situation for many growers is pretty ugly or they feel like it's ugly but this is a long journey it's a long game and they went into those swaps for a reason and that reason still persists today so i'd stay the course and keep talking to your advisors about what the best course of action is them personally and just play out the year as uh, the conditions prevail but really where the opportunities persist is for the neck the out years 2023 2024 there's still some excellent grain marketing opportunities and I would hate to think that there's growers out there that are being conservative with a view to those years because of the way they're feeling now about the decisions they've made in this year with their grain marketing. The opportunity is there to, to lock in excellent prices. Great. And so it's about having a good grain marketing strategy and thinking not just this year, but a couple of years out. And because it is, they are pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I mean, I think the strategies that people have employed, particularly those that have used deciles to guide them, so previous historical deciles, you know, 330 being a decile nine price, that's a good price, get into it. Well, today it's 530. It sort of is being challenged, uh, that decile view. But, you know, this, to me anyway, this, what's going on right now feels like a bubble. We already had high prices and then we've got a war in Eastern Europe and that just amplifies the the issue and that you know i don't think anyone thought it was going to go on as long as it has but because it has gone on this long we have we've got less confidence about the end date so we don't know how long this bubble will persist for and it's also been exacerbated by some droughts but in the northern hemisphere but of course all that will solve itself one day whether that's mm-hmm. next year or the year after i i don't really know but and the and i suspect we will revert back to an, a mean in terms of those pricings and the deciles will make a lot more sense again if yeah. it actually pans out that way then the opportunities that are pre- presenting today for 2023 and and four are phenomenally good um, and i would i would yeah ha- have a strategy that might be different to your long-term strategy that, and you're going to have to get comfortable with that so what about costs, Rob? Do, do people need to start thinking about a 2023 strategy with costs? Because you said earlier on our conversation that it doesn't look like the high prices for like fertiliser chemicals and, and machinery are going to go down anytime soon. So it makes 2023 look like an expensive year. So is it too soon for growers to start thinking about 2023 in the context of trying to manage costs in the season after this? Uh, no, it's not too soon. What they might do about it, though, might, you know, you, you defer that decision. But yeah, look, so let's just think about that for a second and, and put some context. It looks like China is having a hell of a time with with their lockdowns and, and their health issues relating to COVID most likely. So that the issues around manufacturing and shipping are still there today and look like they're going to persist for some time. So whilst we thought in particular pesticides, et cetera, and other products that come out of China, it's all 2022 will all sort of unwind and the shipping will get better and the availability will get better. Well, it looks like that's actually going to be def- deferred again for God knows how long, another year at least, I'd say. So that's that's a fair chunk of the cost that looks like it will still be there next year. Phosphorus has gone through the roof even higher. But nitrogen has come off. And fortunately for us, well, it come off to some degree, not back to its previous level, but certainly looks like it's cooled, that international pricing. And if that trend continues, that's a good thing. Fortunately for us, in terms of phosphorus, we've got a very good phosphorus soil um, residual levels out there. And we can play that game with phosphorus 
um, albeit that the cost of each unit of phosphorus is going to be higher next year, almost certainly. But the nitrogen is the one that drives the yield in a seasonality perspective. Phosphorus is a longer term investment. Nitrogen is a single year investment. That sort of plays into our hands to some degree. But you know, traditionally, we'll do some tax planning at this time of year and forward forward buy our fertilizer because it's a good price. But well, no one's mm. no one's doing that. That would just be reasonably crazy. It's hard, isn't it, Rob? <laughs> It would be reasonably crazy well, to do that. I think it's hard because, like you said, the prices are so high historically, but we don't know if that's actually going to be a good price come this time next year. That's right. So, you, I mean, you've got to take that, you know, take that punt, don't you? And if you're uncomfortable, or rather, if you are comfortable with where the prices are at, lock them in. By all means, what's the difference with your grain hedging? It's, yeah. There is no difference. But if you feel, I just can't see it going higher, and it's probably more downside than upside over the next six months, well, I'm just going to sit and hold. Well, I think that would be a reasonable approach. But to be honest, the decisions by our importers will be made October, November, so that we don't actually have much. This is just around the corner, to be honest. Yeah, so we're going to have more certainty towards the back end of the season before you run into, I suppose, that analysis and budgeting season with your clients. You can have a lot more information running into that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, I'd be saying just hold, hold off for the time being, but I would – Definitely be preparing for a higher cost year again next year compared to our long-term average. Absolutely. I don't think – because insurance isn't going to go down. Rates aren't going down. My fees aren't going down. Across the board, everything seems to have gone up a degree um, and some of them by quite a margin. So, And some of the bigger items for getting yeah. repairs by quite a margin. I think to summarise what we've been talking about, Rob, I mean, you know, yes, we've had some had a really great decade, but a, re- a particularly great couple of years for a lot of people. It's not always in the East Coast. They've had a much tougher decade than, say, the West Coast has. But there have been some good years. But also we have this headwind you mentioned about costs are just extreme at the moment. Um, so profits have been extreme, but costs are extreme as well. So the... And you, in what you're saying about the, you know, just maintain that discipline because there's pressures sort of everywhere and it's it's currently good, but there's everything set. I love your comment. And I, and I think it should be on the, I think you should make a sticker for the top of every one of your clients' monitors is hold serve, you know, like <laughs> you've broken serve, but you haven't held serve. And I, and I love that idea. It's almost like a good mantra for everyone in a year like this. Yeah. And what do you do you when know? you're holding serve? You just um, hold- you play a straight game, nice and easy. No, no, nothing outrageous. Don't try and smash them off the court. Just make them make the mistakes. That's what you do when you're trying to hold serve. And it's no difference to you know farming. Just play it extremely conservatively. The conditions that persist, be them environmental or economic, you've just got to react to them and hope for the best. And you know, we, the seasonal outcome this year is not in the bag by any stretch of the imagination. It could stop raining now we saw that in 2019 it, you know it could be an absolute disaster mm. and even if it's not next year might present that way if the costs are up again but we don't have the rainfall the the financial outcome will be the worst we've ever experienced and we've got to be prepared for that and that's all about that yeah. that balance sheet strength that i referred to at the start yeah and i think that's great advice Rob. in in the context of Yes, take the win, like really celebrate and take the win, but it's a long game farming. And so you just got to, like you said, hold your serve, play a straight bat and and keep your discipline, really. Mm, Correct. If you can. So, Rob, to finish off the podcast, I always ask people what they do outside ag. So everyone's, usually I'm talking to us just, you know, their boots and all in the ag industry, but everyone has a life outside of ag. Now, I know you've just been up on the Gibb River Road up north, but so what else do you do when you're not talking or thinking farming, Rob? <laughs> 
Um, well, I, my wife and I are just new empty nesters. Our last, uh, our last child is, um, or youngest child rather is, is left home. So that's creating a, you know, a, a challenge uh, in of its own right, which is fantastic. So we do like a lot of sport. We do a bit of running. We play a lot of tennis and we do like our camping. Like you said, we went up on the gib for four, four weeks, which is fantastic and already planned the next two trips because I was so depressed when I got home. So that, that pretty much ties up a lot of our time, to be honest. Yeah. Those of you, I'll just do an ad for the Kimberley while I'm here. So those of you who haven't been to the northwest of Western Australia, particularly the Kimberley, uh, like Rob says, you know, it's an absolutely stunning part of Australia. And I think it really puts its claws into people. And you come back from a trip up there and you just want to go back straight away, really, a lot of the time. So Correct. I, I understand what you're saying, Rob. Yes, yeah. and having seen so, all the big um, do yourself a favour. Yeah, that's right. And having seen all the big rigs up there, I've got more more desire to get a better camping outfit. That's for sure, because there's some serious, oh, seriously good rigs uh, up there. Oh, look, I think that's the worst thing about going. I've just been done two weeks in the Pilbara, Rob, and I think that's the worst thing. You go up there and you look at everyone else's rigs. And you go, oh, I could have that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's an expensive way to do things, isn't it? Four wheel driving. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, Rob. Thanks very much, mate. I really enjoyed the chat, and I think everyone, all the listeners, are going to get a ton of value from what you could share today. And um, all the best to you and your clients for the season. And thank you very much. Thanks, David. As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster Farm Business Management Software and Services, you can find us at www.agrimaster.com.au or find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. If you like this episode, please share it on social media or directly with a friend and let's make farm business great together.